Gordon, Savior of the Universe theme, as uh, as done by Queen, at the request of uh, of the homie Prey Station in the building today. Unbelievable. So um, good. And conceptually yeah. hilarious. We'll talk more <laughs> about about that. Um, quick quick uh, note to anybody listening: please mute if you are not uh, if you are if you are in the audience. Just make sure to mute. You're getting a couple. Uh, Couple voices and noises coming on through, um, but uh, I think we're I think we should be good now. Um, wow, Yuri just crushing it per usual. Learning these, Yuri. Did you know? I mean, this wasn't one you had in the bag, right? This was like no. This one, this this took a little time to uh, to nail in the Flash Gordon theme song, and there are even <laughs> some pieces of it that go a little farther that I didn't quite get to. But I think uh, the spirit and the energy of Queen and Flash Gordon is represented, which is you know the baseline I'm trying to hit. So great request, really appreciate, really appreciate <laughs> Josh dude. going out there with it. Yeah, no, that definitely, was awesome. definitely hit it out of the park. And it's so funny, it, it was such an, a, a knee jerk reaction. It's like we have this person who's going to be playing music. What song? I'm like Queen. Uh, Flash Gordon. Like, <laughs> it wasn't even like I didn't even have to think about it. I'm just like, that is going to be the song, for sure. Amazing choice. Thank you so much for uh, taking the request seriously. That's that's the most important part. So thank you. Cheers. All right, uh, we can um, the the piano every week. Like sometimes you're able to keep playing, let the room fill up. We can just get it started. I never know quite uh, if Yuri's like really vibing and like kind of in his zone. We can keep going for just another minute. How, how are we feeling? Yeah, yeah. I would, I would love to keep it moving. I, I shut it down because that was, that was all of the theme song I had. But uh, I will riff on that theme for another couple of minutes to give some folks time to uh, to pop in. Cool. Awesome.
Queen covers with a little We Will Rock You. And, uh, Chuck the Matt slow Kilo. down, man. <laughs> this is the, the, when you like kind of slowed it down into this like this like sludgy or like stoner rock groove in a way there. Like, oh man, like I was definitely like, I want some dr- I want some like heavy, heavy kick drum to that. Just like, man, that just sounds wonderful. <laughs> You're Ozzy to just sorry. come through with the war pigs on top. Yeah, man, let's go. Oh, yeah. yeah. oh man, yes, yes. Oh, boy. Um, I need whew. love to start that way. We got a great crowd in here. It looks like uh, Drew is going to wield the, the salmon power and uh, at everyone in the uh, announcements channel, which is uh, always a little bit uh, oof, makes me a little anxious to do that. I've done it too. And you're just like, I'm about to ping like, you know, 10,000 or whatever, how many thousands of people are in here. Um, but yeah, uh, let's get to it. Yuri, thank you again, as always. Um, and also a special thanks. Uh, we got a couple of people in here. I don't know who all is doing it this week, um, but who always come in and record these, make sure, you know, we're starting to kind of build up an archive of these pirate radio interviews. Um, and uh, yeah, Zoe and who else is, uh, so you know, pop, I don't know who, else, Yuri, who, who am I missing here? Who's usually I'm in here? Uh, Adam, Adam. Right? Adam's been helping us out, and uh, Derek also behind the scenes has been doing a lot. So shout out to Derek. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's it's. um, There's no sort of like smooth process to like just let in. You know, you have to kind of manually like allow people into the Discord and all that. But I just wanted to make sure to shout out a sort of thankless uh, people who are you know always helping us out each week when we do this to get things set up. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, today I am very pleased. To welcome to the show Joshua Davis, aka PlayStation, as well as Watsi from Kohi. Um, and uh, just a little context here, Josh. Uh, I so Josh uh, is a, a real OG of the sort of design and generative art space, and, and Josh is someone who I discovered um, when I was in high school. So probably like not to. Not to age dox you, Josh, but I think I first discovered your work in uh, like a Friends of Ed book, if you remember those, or com- probably in computer arts and, of course, yeah. PlayStation and Once Upon a Forest. Like this is probably like summer of 2001 or two. And Josh's work had a, a really, really major influence on um, both, uh, you know, me and my life and my work and has gone on to influence countless others in this space and it's just a real pleasure to have him on we've we've talked and worked together a lot over the years but i'm, I'm really excited to bring him into the fold here and have him share a little of his story as well as his upcoming project and just kind of shoot the shit um so yeah welcome yeah it's 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 we've known each other a long time in fact we could fl- we could flip this whole conversation and just tell chuck stories that will probably make <laughs> people laugh because um, i've got some good ones we, yeah uh it's it's been a fun ride and it's been really fun to just like you know watch what josh has done over all these years and, and just uh just grateful for his friendship and inspiration and, and just been really rad to see his you know sort of um you know reintroduction we were talking about this the other day josh and maybe somewhere we can start um as someone who's really is considered an og in the sort of you know graphic design and sort of the new digital art space and been doing generative work for I used to describe your work to people like I remember telling my wife about it, you know, years ago when we probably met for the first time in New York in like 2005 or whatever for that semi-permanent conference. 
Um, it's like, yeah, Josh like, makes this kind of thing with like code where he just like builds all this stuff and has these parameters and then he can just kind of hit space bar and it'll just like spit out like a different thing each and every time. And he can just do that sort of infinitely until he finds, you know, just the right pieces and then he can like grab those and put them aside and, and sort of like, you know, and I was always really amazed by that. And it's been really wild to sort of watch the whole NFT space and kind of get hip to the very concept of generative art over the last year and really have it sort of finally have its moment in the sun on a bigger scale. So maybe that's a good place to start. I'd love to hear, you know, what it's been like to sort of see, sort of reintroduce yourself in a way to a whole new audience and, and, and sort of like, you know, integrate what you've been doing all these years into this world. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's 2022. Um, but this whole generative art thing, like I was hooked back in 1995. <laughs> mm. Uh, and the, the little precursor to that, just, just, just to, uh, give some context, it'll just kind of explain why I got so obsessed so quickly. Um, I was a traditional painter. So I grew up in, uh, I was born in San Diego, California. My parents moved to Colorado when I was like maybe four or six years old. I actually lived in Littleton, Colorado, and I actually went to Columbine high school. So that, that high school that, um, those two boys, you know, Columbine, that's, that was my, <laughs> that was my high school. Um, so I, my, my house is like two blocks from that school. So when that whole shooting thing happened, it was like watching my, my backyard unfold on national television. It was crazy. Um, so that's where I went to school and I was very active in, in, in painting and, and in art. And I would say I knew I was going to be an artist by the time I was 12 years old. Um, I went to Catholic school prior to Columbine and, um, you know, I was that kid that would just like, you know, take a stick and like dig shapes in the playground and kids would come over and be, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, I'm discovering dinosaur bones. And, <laughs> you know, like I was carving shapes into the playground while all the other kids were just playing like kickball and like, you're fucking weird. You know, what's wrong with you? Um, so I, I knew pretty early that, that I was creative and that I was going to be, um, an artist and there was like no question. And so my parents bought me an oil painting set, I think like when I was like 12 or 13 years old, you know, like I'll be over here working with oil paint and uh, turpentine. Thank you very much. Um, so my parents kind of embraced it, which was strange because you know, there was no one really artistic in my family at all. And um, so I stuck with art when I went to high school at Columbine and it ends up that my uh, art teacher entered me into like a statewide painting competition. And I ended up taking second place in the state of Colorado for painting. And so, um, we need those paintings. This, you you got to have yeah. that picture at the ready to drop it in the chat text here. Oh gosh, context. no, let's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's going to be, that would be an archive dig for that. But uh, yeah, I, I started off as a traditional painter and so uh, eventually I moved to New York in 92 and uh, went to Pratt. So, um, you know, I went to art school um, out in Brooklyn uh, called Pratt. And my whole focus was painting. But there was this period where I was really interested in randomness. So I was like, how could I execute sort of like a random process in the work that I was doing? And so like I tried a bunch of things. So like I would make these paintings and I would put them in the freezer. Um, let me just tell you, they just get cold. Nothing happens. Um, I started setting my artwork on fire. Like I was, I was interested in executing a process that would maybe do something. And so I found that because I was working in oil paint and because I was using these kind of like glazes and resins, 
um, when I would bake them in my oven at like, you know, 350 degrees, like 11 minutes each side, um, they would crack. They would they would create these kind of like really cool patterns over the surface of the painting because the oil paint was drying at a slower rate than the resin on top. So the resin would harden, but the paint underneath was still, you know, doing its thing. And so it would cause it to sort of shatter. And so I became really addicted to this idea of having some process in the art that I make that I just didn't have control over, you know? And so, um, I'm of course the poor art student at Pratt and, um, I tried to get a job on campus and they said, um, uh, Hey, you know, we've got one of the, you know, highest paid jobs on campus is building Pratt's website. And this was like 1994, I believe 1994, 1995. So they're like, do you know how to build websites? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. And so I got this job. There was three of us. We worked in the publications department and we worked on, you know, Pratt.edu. And so it meant that during the day I was, you know, doing traditional painting, you know, uh, life, life drawing, uh, color theory, all that stuff. And at nighttime, I was sort of self-teaching myself at the time. It was just really HTML, JavaScript, and uh, Perl, of all things, because Perl was kind of like the, the, the server-side language at the, at the time that was kind of in favor. But um, I certainly couldn't afford a Mac, and uh, PCs kind of weren't really a thing. So my first foray into computing was actually Linux. Um, so um, around 1995, um, you know, my first computer is like a 286, you know, uh, computer. Um, it ran Slackware Linux. You had to sort of recompile the kernel to get it to work with your sound card or, you know, whatever. So... I, and we'll talk, there's a reason why I'm mentioning this, because um, open source has been a big part of my career about, you know, giving away sort of everything that you learn to help others just get awesome quicker. And that's completely due to the fact that I was, I was Linux kind of super, super early on. So I started with Linux back in 95. And I mean, just to like date myself, let me just really explain the situation of, of, of making websites back in 1995. When you got a computer, um, there was no color video cards. Like you, the monitor either came in amber or green. Um, <laughs> there was no such thing as, as color. That's, that's how old I am, I guess. Um, and so my computer had an amber screen and in order to write HTML, you had to SSH onto the server. And in SSH, I would launch another thing called VI. And I would actually write HTML live on the server in VI because there were no tools like Dreamweaver or whatever, you know, uh, Sublime Text. Like there were no uh, editors to, to, to write code really at that time. So I was actually SSHing onto the server, launching VI, and then writing code in real time on a server. It's like a super hardcore way <laughs> of making web pages. And so, long story short, long story long, actually, um, started off as a painter, but once I started to sort of dip my toe into computing, right, like I'm talking about how crude everything was, there was kind of this moment where I could sort of like take a step back and chuck, like, and everyone else, it literally was an, a, an epiphany. Like you sort of step back and say, 
wow, you know, like we've had thousands of years of painting and kind of like everything that's happened, like has happened in terms of like what can be done with paint, in my opinion, but I'm doing air quotes there. Like there's a huge history of, of, of paint. And, you know, it was kind of this moment where I just kind of like pushed back and I was just like, computers literally have just started. Like just started in terms of, Understanding that they were going to get better, understanding that it was this new medium, understanding that it, we, it literally like the wave was just starting. And of course, you know, there was a whole scene before me, like the demo scene on bulletin boards. I was on a bulletin board in New York called Military Ridge, which had a huge demo scene. So I'm obviously kind of skipping past that. But there was this epiphany that uh, in terms of art, media art, like this was a brand new tool that was radically going to change, you know, digital art forever. And so uh, like 1995, I was like, like, fuck paint. I'm like, the weapons have just changed. Like, I'm still the same artist. I'm still making the same decisions, but it's just going to be, it's going to be computers now. Like there's no, there's no need to have uh, paint and canvases anymore. And so that's kind of the, the sort of aha moment of um, of kind of falling into computers. And now, why did I request Flash? Was well because obviously things progress. And um, uh, Jonathan Gay had written a, a software called um, Future Splash Animator, and so I had downloaded that and played in that. And then Future Splash Animator eventually gets bought by Macromedia. It becomes Flash. And then Flash 4 happens a couple of years later. And it was really kind of like this idea of creative coding. It was, you know, 1998, 2000. Um, it was really kind of the the start of, of this creative coding revolution. I know this has been long, so maybe you can, I can shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good, man. Well, I've interviewed you a few times before, and I'd just like to give you the space to talk. But, uh, you know, I think it's good to situate everyone and kind of, put all that into context, even though, I mean, I can't pretend to know what like half the words that you're saying mean, but I also did have a uh, Amber screen computer, I believe. Remember our first computer was, uh, I think it was green actually, but I had a floppy disk with the Wheel of Fortune uh, game on it, which was fun. But I don't know if it's you or someone's typing. So let's just, uh, Josh, is that you? If it's you, you're you're good. No, it's Rafa. Oh, okay. Um, All good, all good. so, uh, yeah, but it's good to situate and contextualize kind of like where this is all coming from, because I think I just it's really hard to sort of like dis- sort of detach the current moment of generative art and where we are right now from sort of where it's been. And I think what's been really interesting to me has been sort of seeing people discover work like yours and work like i guess in the nft space you go straight to a lot of the art blocks pieces that sort of were very mm-hmm. sort of formative to the you know that have become very famous regardless of you know how you specifically might see them from a technical standpoint i think a lot of people's onboarding was things like you know fidenza and ringers and things like that mm-hmm. and sort of like people sort of seeing um you know how that can interact with blockchain so like i, I know we're kind of like zooming all the way up now sure. um from from that time into here but like just to sort of uh, sort of marry the moments um, that you know from from back then uh, until now, how much do you feel has has changed uh, mm. from those early experiments to you know obviously like software and things are so much more advanced and and there's so much you know you can do, but 
Like, yeah. I mean, is there, would a, you it, say actually Chuck, things are it, still kind of the same or is it? No, it's been a full 360, like literally. And, okay. I, and I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. I mean, my drop on art blocks was incredible. I mean, I, I really enjoyed being on that platform, but, but the restrictions of that platform is in line with work that I was making 20 years ago, 24 years ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, you're working in this tool set that's kind of like, okay, wow, this is this is like the flash for early days. Like, you know, the, a lot of the limitations. Like, I remember having a talk with um, either Jeff Davis or Snowfro, and the comment came out. It's like, well, you know, the, like the most ideal drop on block, you know, on art blocks is like between five and twenty kilobytes. <laughs> you mm. know, and I think like by the time everything was done, I think my drop on art blocks was like 11 kilobytes like total like total <laughs> size all the code was 11 kilobytes um not megabytes you know kilobytes which is funny because like that's so much in line with how, stuff that we were facing back in 1998 you know everything was 640 by 480 resolution and you know you were having to index uh colors and photoshop so that you know, somebody on a 56K modem could like, you know, wasn't spending six hours trying to download your, you know, intro. So a lot of these kind of restrictions um, that we had back in, you know, the, the late 90s is like very similar, ironically, very similar to like, hey, you know, on art blocks, like, it, you know, ideally your code is between five and 20 kilobytes. But, you know, again, you're also restricted to, you know, um, everything being sort of, um encapsulated in that code so like you can't right, make, right. you can't make queries to things um so it's super limiting and it and again it, it feels like a lot of the limitations that that we encountered you know mm. some some 20 24 years ago i have i've heard rumors that and i have to ask this as someone who has mm. themselves had a drop on uh, art blocks i've heard rumors that uh the the Dutch auction was uh, each each time the price was ready to go down, it had to be it's like manually done. Is is that true? Like someone's yeah. sitting there, like, eh, no. All right, here we go. No. Yeah, the artist. Like <laughs> when you say someone, oh, it's the artist. Wait, yeah. Really? So like, what if you yeah, just yeah. forget? It just hangs at that high. No, price. no, you no, you literally have to. So so the way the so the Dutch auction thing in like in theory is a good idea, you know, because it really kind of spaces out so that you're you know right. not fighting the gas wars. So like early on, they would say. Okay, you know, there's a thousand pieces. This is going to be the fixed price, and you know, everyone. It was a mad rush to try to, you know, up your gas so that you could secure yourself a spot. So it was just a real shit show that way. So the the Dutch auction just said, okay, listen, you know, there's some people who are going to really want to buy into your collection and your work, and they're willing to spend a little bit more, and it kind of spaces out the the gas. Mm -hmm. And so what? But you always rest at some sort of um, floor, right? So. Right. I think mine was 0 0.25 was, was the floor. And so um, I think mine started at maybe 2 ETH or 3 ETH. I can't even really remember. Um, it wasn't that much, 2, two ETH maybe. Um, and Because uh, I've seen some really crazy prices starting on Dutch auctions, but mine wasn't that bad. Um, and every five minutes, I would just lower the price by you know 0 0.5. So because I you know had to interface with the contract... I just literally had like a little timer and every five minutes I'd be like, okay, it's, it's now this price, you know, uh, publish. Okay. Now it's this price publish. And my drop uh, went well. I mean, it, it, I think, and it sold out in 27 minutes. 
Um, it was a life-changing moment. Um, we can talk about processing. I obviously work in processing as kind of full-time here in my studio. And I was able to make a $220,000 donation to the Processing Foundation. So, I mean, it really was a life-changing moment for me, as well as having that sort of donation component was was really incredible. So, um, all, all around a, a, a great... Um, a great experience. Now, my drop is very different than most art blocks things because you know I and thought just, well, hey Josh, really, yeah, really ahead, quick, yeah, yeah. just so you know, I sure. I posted a link to it just in the, oh. in the chat text, which I got to say, yeah. just as a quick aside, there I, I'm not sure what other sort of like interview format mm -hmm. like I've ever experienced. It's this much fun when you're listening to something, but then also like with the chat text, to be able to post a link so people can just go look and see oh, like yeah. what it is we're talking about. Um, I always mm -hmm. really enjoy being able to do that, but. You've had one art block shop, right? Or did you have two? Am no, I... just one. Just the one, no, just, okay. Got yeah, it, just the it. one. Yeah, it was called uh, Organized Disruption. Yeah. And um, okay. it, was a, it was a series of a thousand pieces. And because, you know, I mean, I'm not bashing Fidenza, but it's, I just find Fidenza really funny because it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's, it, Fidenza is really beautiful. It's really elegant. But the fact that it just generates a static image is kind of like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> like, I, I would love to see the animation or I would love to uh, interact with it in some way. And so I was thinking ab about this and I was just like, yeah, it's, it's a real shame that there isn't a project on Artblocks that uses some kind of um, interaction in, a, in an interesting way. And so I thought, well, gosh, what if, what if, you know, what if what you unlocked was uh, different types of interactivity? And so with my particular drop on Artblocks Organized Disruption, it organizes the composition in a certain way, it disrupts it in a certain way, and then rarity is different types of interactions. So um, everything moves on the mouse. So you should be able to move your mouse around and that will disrupt the composition. Um, you should be able to click and you can rotate the entire universe, you know, 360 degrees around. And then when you let go, it should snap back into sort of a, a default animation. But mm. then there are other types of interactions. So it might yeah, unlock uh, it might unlock like pushing things away it might unlock scaling things down it might unlock scaling things up it might unlock um a complete uh distortion from one shape to another shape so um this idea of like unlocking interaction as rarity i thought was conceptually really interesting and um so i was like okay i'm going to use you know the, the platform that talks about generative art that talks about you know interactivity uh, in a way where it fully encompasses that. So, um, you know, my project is nowhere near the, the sort of breadth of of Fidenza, but it does something interesting because it's it's allowing interaction, you know, and when you click any of the pieces on OpenSea, you can literally interact it straight in OpenSea. And yeah, the other very cool. thing too is you can also do it on your phone. So you can like load it up on your phone and and also interact with it there. I mean the 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 code is 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 so um efficient in a way that that um the interaction kind of works everywhere, which is which is dope. Yeah. So okay, so let's touch on a couple other things really sure. quick. So you did the art blocks drop which sort of yeah. Put you in a bit of a uh, of a um, interesting with some interesting guardrails, meaning you had to go purely code, keep the files very small. No, you know you're not pulling from any libraries. Um, and well, it's let, let me say different... let me say one thing first, Chuck, which is you know I started on super rare, 
and um, I started on I started on really on super rare and foundation. So I kind of want to talk about those two, like maybe super quick before art blocks because you'll see, you'll kind of see the frustration of of why I go to art blocks and why I'm now doing something with the the guys over at Kohi, which is I almost feel bad for my pieces on super rare because they're rendered to video. So here I'm talking about you know generative art which I've been talking about since 1995. Um, and uh, I'm writing this software that's like, I've been working on for, gosh, almost 10 years. I think The Void is, is almost like eight years or 10 years that I've been working on that that particular piece of code. But I'm rendering stuff to animation, right? So here I'm telling yeah. you, I've got a piece of code that can generate an infinite length of video that can give you an infinite length of compositions. Um, but here I'm sort of forcing this moment of time. So in a lot of ways, the stuff that I'm doing on super rare and foundation really is time-based media because I'm, I'm giving you a window into a moment, um, that was probably really different before I rendered and was really different after I, you know, stopped rendering. So I almost felt like the work that I was doing was kind of a disservice to the, to the code itself because, they were these kind of moments in time. And so on mm. Super Rare, I was really working on this project called The Void, which is, um, I was partnering with musicians. Um, I split 50-50 with the musicians. So I've done stuff with Zola Jesus. I've done stuff with the guitarist of Flaming Lips um, and uh, a, a countless others, where it's a 50-50 collaboration and um, it's audio reactive and it's usually triptychs. So it's it's a piece of software that shows you the breadth of the software. It shows you the sort of three different mutations that the software can go in an infinite number of, 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 um, of mutations. And so the super rare stuff was super cool. Foundation, you know, I get on kind of a little bit after super rare and foundation really became my place to kind of like try out ideas. It was kind of like my sketchbook. And so on foundation, um, I've been kind of like, so, okay, you know, how do I generate some stills or generate some things that are still code based, but um, they're maybe not part of a, a greater idea like super rare, like super rare is just the, the void series foundation. lets me kind of treat it as like a sketchbook and try out a lot of different things that maybe are outside of this void series. And so it was with working on those kind of two things that I was, I just it kept nagging at me, like, you know, doing stuff generative but letting it be generative is is kind of where the art block thing uh initially started and and then eventually this um this kohi drop that we're going to talk about a little bit later where i'm able to put the code on chain is is kind of like the truest purest kind of holy grail thing for me to to do with my particular body of work Mm. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, you, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask because there's such an interesting difference between choosing when something is final. And I think, you know, I've been really exploring the idea of just the concept of like, when do you know you're done? And I think that's an interesting sort of mm. notion within generative art because, you know, there's going to be pieces, you know, that, you know, when it's purely code based that are yeah. going to be, you know, cer certainly out of your control. Whereas when you're doing things for whether it was Super Air Foundation or whatever, um, you're sort of making that final determination on, on a piece and whether it's good enough or not. And so the sort of human yeah. element and, and decision-making comes into the fold. And I think there's something just really, really funny about the sort of the dichotomy between both of those sort of mindsets. So mm -hmm. is there one that you uh, just personally enjoy more? Like, you know, because I mean, obviously the full control 
is, you know, there's something satisfying to just de deciding here is a finished work. I know what it looks like. I've, I got it exactly the way I want it. Upload, mm -hmm. there you go, versus the sort of surprise element. So as someone who's kind of done both now and have another one coming, is there one that's more sort of more gratifying to you or is it just two completely almost different practices in a way? Mm. Yeah, so let's let's provide a, a some some extra filler. Um, so obviously, I've been talking about generative art since '95. Um, I spoke at TED in 2005 on the topic, and I don't think it's really much different than what a graphic designer does. You know, that that was kind of the basis of my TED talk at the time. Um, and hey, can I just say, if you ever get invited to TED, maybe don't say the word fuck every minute because then they decide not to put your video online. And I think I probably hold the record for the most fucks in, <laughs> in any 15 minute TED talk. So uh, just, you know, write that down. That might be uh... that's that, that <laughs> sentence uh, out of context is uh, quite something. By the way. Glad yeah. We have clean audio. Of it. Anyway, um, so in that talk, you know, I talked about that, you know, when you're a graphic designer, you you launch Photoshop, you launch Illustrator, and you're making decisions. You're saying, hey, I want like a circle shape in this area right here, and I want it to be this scale, and I want it to, to be um, next to this thing and this color, and like, right? So you're making sort of decisions. And what I'm saying is, is that, you know, in the kind of practice that I do, I'm putting all those decision makings. So I'm saying, hey, I want something painted in this area. It should be from this color group. It can be this scale. But if it, you know, so it, it could be a circle, it could be a triangle, it could be a square, right? So it has rails on its randomization. And so every time I press the space bar, like I used to do in the past, you know, every composition would, would kind of come out aesthetically the same because I'm allowing some some vibration, some variance between that 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 decision making. And so, um, you know, uh, so when I'm making stuff, I just wanted to to kind of touch on what you said before, which is like what makes something click? You know, well, I would say something clicks kind of the same way it would in Photoshop or Illustrator, where you kind of like put something in a certain position, you resize it a certain way and you're like, Okay, my my brain is somehow sending me dopamine. It's sending me something that this is aesthetically pleasing. This might be done, <laughs> right? So I I think that same kind of thing happens with me, except for every time I run, you know. So not only do I have to be sort of the programmer, I also have to be sort of the graphic designer. I also have to be sort of the critic, and sort of live with the work and sort of you know run something a thousand times or ten thousand times to kind of decide, you know, which one hits that dopamine, you know, harmony thing. So knowing that, um, you know, what, what do I gravitate to, you know, more that, I mean, it's hard to say. I think, I think super rare is kind of like my blue chip fit and finish. Like it's perfect. Like the code is like 10,000 lines long. It's able to produce, I think like 6,400 unique visual uh, outputs. And I think I've done 18 on Super Rare. I can't remember the number. I think I only have one for sale on there, actually. Um, so I think in terms of it, like the my pinnacle piece of software, the void is is beautiful. It's beautiful when it runs real time. It's great when you it's on an LED screen. Um, it, it is a beautiful piece of software and there's, it, it's my baby. It's the one that I've been working on for a long period of time. 
But like with that said, I also really like the foundation stuff because, um, again, it's like a sketchbook and a sketchbook is where you're trying out ideas. And if you're not willing to try out ideas, you're going to get stuck, which, you know, that that was the topic of a talk that I gave on YouTube for 99U, which is called, I think, Escaping Success. And it was about this idea that, you know, if you're not trying new things and failing, then you'll never um, you'll never keep growing, you know, like, in my opinion, you should set a goalpost and try to get to that goalpost. And then once you get close enough, you should just keep moving it. Right. So, so the, the idea is, is that I'll die before I ever <laughs> reach the, reach the goalpost. And so, you know, I really appreciate the foundation stuff because it is, there are these kind of like sketches. There's these ideas of like, these could become greater things. Now, in terms of, of purity, like I like the art blocks thing, but it feels for me like I'm, you know, teleported 20 years in the past. I was like, oh shit, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I that I did in Flash, like in in 1999. So I have a little bit of nostalgia, but there's also kind of this itch where it's like, well, shit, you know, like the stuff that I'm doing in uh, processing now is using shaders and it, you know, requires this, you know, 3080 GPU that I have, like it really embraces kind of the of the moment um, technology. And so that's why, you know, eventually we can get into talking about Kohi, but that's why this universe machine drop on Kohi is, is going to be great because it takes a, a real departure in terms of getting close to some of the stuff that I'm doing, you know, on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis, you know, here in mm -hmm. my studio. So that's a good segue um, to mm -hmm. get, to the now uh, and Kohi, and let's sure. uh, talk a little bit about that. And of course, we have Watsi here. Yeah, Watsi here. Um, yeah. Watsi, can, can you say hi, Watsi? Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do with Kohi, and your background, and just uh, whatever whatever you'd like to uh, to say. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm uh, also old. Uh, my first computer was like <laughs> a, a Tandy 1000, um, which was like a PC Junior uh, clone. Um, so, I mean, I really, I start, I cut my teeth in coding, like just making, um, making games, like terrible games, like, you know, pick a random number, lemonade stand type stuff. Um, but I started doing that when I was nine years old. So that was, uh, I've been, yeah. And, and like, uh, like pray, I, uh, you know, I, I pretty much decided at nine that I was going to code and there was nothing, um, that. You know, it's the only thing I really focused on for for most of my life, um, and I always had dreams of making games. I did. I did end up in the game scene. Um, I, I didn't find it uh, that rewarding. Uh, you know, uh, game players uh, are pretty. Um, they're hard to they're hard to support sometimes. They get very vocal. Uh, so I kind of left the game scene. I did some fintech uh, for a number of years, uh, and that wasn't really scratching my itch. So when Web three came around. Um, I really just kind of dove in 100%. Uh, and, and Kohi itself kind of started as, I want to say, I don't want to say it was a bet, but uh, Antokyo and I we started it together. We were um, just getting our coffee, going on a walk, and he was telling me about art blocks and, uh, you know, kind of boiled down to, like, you know, they're basically taking, like, P5JS or whatever it is at the time. I know there's different flavors now and putting it on the on the on the chain and so i was like well why can't they just do it all in solidity 
and uh, and I and I looked around and, and you know there's some very good uh, you know I want to call it like on chain works where the entire piece of art is completely done in the contract uh, like broad chain um, I mean there's a, a strange attractors there's a lot of really great projects like that but they're very mathematically intense in the sense that you know they're working off pure math and you have to really uh, understand that there was no real pick up and go uh, you know as a as a visual person visual artist can i do this so i think you know when i when i walked into this scene i guess it was last august um the status quo was really you know we'll take your javascript and put it on on the chain and and since then i guess i just had this feeling we could do it in solidity and that kind of started this you know quasi masochistic um project where we're basically taking all of the the art that you like anything that you could draw um and really going back i guess um to joshua's kind of point about these you know you you like to call them liberating constraints but we're really talking about this anachronistic thing so everything that was old is new again like even in solidity there's a 24 kilo 24 kilobyte um limit on the contract size of course you can make multiple contracts in fact the right now the um this uh drop we're doing with joshua the universe machine is uh, i think 61 solidity files right now so you have to ha have a special kind of tolerance for for doing a lot of code and making a lot of mistakes to get there but at the end of the day it was a hunch like one of the big reasons that nfts are taking off is because of provenance and basically you have a complete picture of ownership it's the first time that you can own a digital item uh you know mathematically and it's you know that's sort of like the, the big um you know lightning rod for a lot of what's happening here uh and then i just found it just i don't know just not satisfying that all of the ownership for the art is on on the you know on ethereum or whatever uh l1 blockchain but the art itself is, you know, normally somewhere else, like IPFS, um, which you know has some guarantees. But if you don't pin the the files, or someone's not sitting there incentivized constantly to keep the files alive, then those go can go away. And Arweave, which is another blockchain, you know, but uh, you know, it's, it's permanent so far. But um, just you know, even then, there's sort of like mining incentives involved, so those could go away. And so I really thought it's, you know, it's a hunch I continue to follow that the art should live in the exact same place as the ownership. So that really what started um, Kohi is that, you know, the very contract that you're using to decide, you know, to buy that token and to hold it and to own it and transfer it, um, that ownership aspect, the art is, is you know, in, is permanently grafted to that token because the solidity code itself is the is what's drawing the art and when i mean drawing i mean i don't even mean svg you know there's a lot of on-chain svgs that produce an svg file and the svg file though at the end of the day is it, it's really a recipe it's instructions that tell you know the browser that you're sitting in on your computer with your gpu to to render these shapes and these lines every time you look at it which is fine and i think there's a lot of good um cases for that but at the other end of it uh, you know, and I'm not an expert at this. There's a lot of really good um, people on, like John Ippolito and uh, Regina, and uh, I can't remember her last name. But the, there's a lot of um, really good digital um, provenance people or digital preservation people that, you know, would argue that it's not 
the same, but I just, I follow this hunch that I want the art to live with the, with the, with the actual solidity. So we do in fact, um, and this is one of the reasons we do like, you know, four drops a year, not, you know, two drops a week is because, um, we're really trying to build what is essentially, I guess the simplest way to say it is, is, a uh, right. I mean, I don't like this analogy, but it works for now. It's the, that we're basically compiling processing into, into native solidity. That's right. Yeah. Regina Harciani. Um, and so, uh, Oh, sorry, there's a question here. What are your thoughts around discoverability of how to trigger on contract rendering? That's an interesting uh, and difficult problem. I can't talk about that. I don't want to take too much from Joshua, but um, yeah, so so Kohi's sort of, where we are right now is at the point where you, you know, anything that you can draw in processing can be drawn in, in solidity. Uh, it involves a lot of math and you know, we're actually because it's in Solidity, which is the Ethereum virtual machine, where you know we don't have the benefit of a GPU. So we're basically doing CPU rasterization. So that's another like callback to the old demo days. Um, we're man, we're doing the same type of things a GPU would do, but we are uh, at the same time doing them on a CPU, which is fairly. And it's tractable for things like just drawing like, you know, triangles and stuff. But then you think about eight, uh, you know, anti-aliasing and subpixel uh, accuracy. So we have like an 8x subpixel accuracy, which um, if if you know anything about processing, like they support uh, 2x by default and 4x. And they do do 8x, but it's not actually available on all machines because you need higher end equipment. So we're trying to do things that higher end equipment can do. Um, but completely on the blockchain and completely in, a, in you know derived from just EVM CPU instructions. So, like I said, it's a little bit masochistic, but it's it's just a, a conviction that I have, um, and maybe it'll change. But the idea is that I want every all the art to be EVM native. Um, and one of the things we're we're working on for this year is to actually take that EVM code um, when it's been completely uh, you know rendered on a CPU. And actually load it directly back into a GPU using compute shaders, so we'll kind of complete the the round trip there. So we should be able to get very fast uh, rendering, um, like on like locally on your own machine using Solidity bytecode. And once we get to that point, we can really unlock that what Josh was talking about, like the interactivity and the uh, the animations and and all the stuff that matters. Because I think there's really two kinds of you know, uh, in the NFT space, there's really two kinds of generative art. There's the generative art that, you know, you happen to be using a blockchain as your medium, you know, as the preservationists would say, like, storage is not preservation. We're presenting something like a P5JS in the case of Artbox, or, you know, it, we're presenting a, in, an image uh, on the screen, but it's really, there's nothing about that image that is blockchain native. Um, there's nothing that like doesn't you know you're not interacting with the blockchain in a way that like you couldn't produce that piece like somewhere else like a different digital medium or just you know like a flash file or whatever it is so we really want to get into that um and i think you know this drop really um i think we got like over 90 percent coverage now on uh, on processing uh with this last drop so every drop we do we're getting closer to that vision um and so yeah, I mean, in, so in terms of triggering on-contract rendering, so um, earlier on, um, we kind of, you know, we were just getting started. We didn't really think about these problems, but one of the biggest problems is gas. Um, 
well, two things. One is that uh, what I would call like a vanilla Ethereum node. So any node that's running the network that's not specialized in any way. Um, it has like something like a five second limit before it'll it'll basically like bomb out. And so that's very hard to do when some of our pieces take hours to to mint. Um, so that's one of the one of the challenges. And the other challenge is that the you know ERC standards like seven what is it seven twenty one and eleven fifty five they both uh, rely on like the token URI. Uh, which is just you know a regular URL. Most of the on-chain token URIs are base64 encoded, so there's no need to have like a server on the back end. That's one of those sort of standard um, checks that you have to um, pass in order to like call your work on chain. I think with our earlier drops, we basically are using IPFS for a cache because of how long it takes it, you know you don't want to wait like two hours for an image to draw, especially if you're on a browser. So we use IPFS to cache it, so like a CDN type of thing. But the render methods are kind of our custom. You call render with the seed, and um, you know we did it sort of in batches. So you do like one chunk at a time. Um, we've evolved from that, uh, you know. And another interesting thing is that OpenSea and a bunch of other larger uh, marketplaces. I think Looksrare is one of them too. They use Alchemy, which is a third-party. Uh, it's like Infura. It's like a third-party backbone where you can use, like, call the blockchain, uh, where there's less limits. And, and also, the newest Ethereum client has some switches that you can like turn off the gas limit and the time limit, so you can kind of do unlimited, uh, unlimited rendering. But uh, I think the I think right now the best approach is, is is sort of a hybrid. You can throw a like a flag in the contract that says whether you're going to use a CDN or not. Um, I think uh, chain brokers or something like that they were doing that while they were uploading like all their svgs to to the to the chain although that is a very storage based play i think they spent like 90 eth putting like basically raw svg files up on the chain but what we're doing here is not just loading the actual images into the chain the code itself is what generates it it's important to me mostly because you know people aren't normally thinking about what the art's going to look like 100 years from now um s store too yeah no i i agree with that um i think they used s store and uh, s store two and um def they use the deflate encoding algorithm but yeah um so yeah it's you know what we're doing here is is definitely different we're trying to move the the needle to the right in terms of the spectrum of what what it means to be on chain we have a lot of different paths we can take um but right now i mean yeah we're, we're very excited about this drop and uh you can really tell just from looking, um, you know, there's things that people will notice that there's so much dynamism in the piece. It's like, there's almost basically 55 um, kind of different pieces of art in one, which is very uh, interesting to me because I know a lot of the drops we did before have some variability, but you know, you kind of seen them all once they come up. And that was something that Joshua pointed out to me that kind of blew my mind on this one. So, um, yeah, it really pushed the uh, envelope. It was it's very interesting work. Um, it was cool because a lot of the problems, like a lot of the, it like was written to take advantage of GPUs. So a lot of the solutions to sort of the challenges of getting this many, like fifty six thousand um, textures rendered in solidity, you know, before you know the end of this millennia, um, was uh, you know the the solution to that on 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 Kohi was almost the opposite solution to a GPU. You know, we had to come up with different ways of 
sliding the textures around and things like that. So it was definitely uh, gratifying. But yeah, I, so think that's, I, had, I think that's it, unless you have more. Yeah. No, well, I, I'm not qualified to follow that up. Uh, just like real, real talk. I don't have, a, <laughs> I'm not the guy uh, on this part. So I'm going to let that, uh, I think there's a couple bigger brains than mine in here who probably really, uh, I know are appreciating hearing a lot of this. This is the, you're, you're in the, uh, the side of things that was not my on-ramp to this stuff, but I'm, I'm so fascinated and I try and absorb and listen and learn. But, uh, I think we, uh, when I hear it, to be honest, I, I will say there's like a, there's like an even more niche sort of like deeper, uh, pirate radio opportunity somewhere here, uh, where, uh, people like yourself can really, really chop it up on the, the development side and, and get into this, I think would be pretty oh, amazing sure. because to be honest, I, I think, um, what's well, so here's some, Chuck, here, here's some, here, here's some context. Um, back in, I think 2006, um, uh, the Whitney bought one of my pieces. So I'm in the permanent collection of the Whitney, but guess what? It's written in flash and they can't play it. So the, so the Whitney owns a piece of my art that they technically can't run. Mm, hilarious. Yeah, totally exactly. hilarious. Yeah. And, and that's so, sort of what my, my thing was like, right. You know, the fact that we're, we're rastering on the chain. Yeah. It's incredibly hard and, and, you know, some might say pointless, but you know, I know that that piece of art, cause it follows the EVM standard. I know that like a thousand years from now, it's going to print exactly the same piece as it did regardless of what kind of GPU that, you know, or what kind of like neural implant we're using to look at the art. I know right. that that piece, you know, and, and you can do that by rastering to IPFS, but I don't know if IPFS will exist. I don't know that Ethereum will exist, but my contention would We don't be know that, if P5JS will exist. Well, right? ex so, well, yeah, I mean, arguably JavaScript will probably stick around. You know, the argument mm -hmm. there is, you know, they've got it in a vault somewhere along with all the seeds, you know, in the case of a <laughs> nuclear disaster that will still have JavaScript. Um, but ultimately it comes down to that the art looks the same, at least the intention. And then once we have interactivity, then like all the ways that you want to look at that piece, um, will, should exist with, and, and, you know, but you know, there's still a lot of preservationist arguments, valid ones that it's not, uh, it, you know, it, there's a lot, lots of work left to do, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'm hoping that we can do, like even looking at like etching the art on like silver halide plates and, you know, anything, you know, that's sort of what gets me up in the morning. But I know that if Ethereum goes away, then I guess, you know, the whole point of ownership and having, you know, ownership of the digital art kind of goes away or we all migrate to a different chain. But the idea, though, is like, I, don't, I just don't want to separate the two. And, you know, that's sort of the ethos for, for why we exist. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so I think, you know, when I, I was work, I've been working on this universe machine code for, I think, eight years now. And so it was during NFT now that I had a chance to, to have a cocktail with, um, uh, on Tokyo, the other half of, um, uh, Kohi. And it was pretty clear that as we started that when, you know, myself, um, at Watsi and on Tokyo started to have these conversations that, um, these kind of conversations around, um, preservation and kind of what they were building at Kohi. It just made perfect sense to take this code that I've been working on for, for eight years, you know, kind of off and on. And um, I couldn't think of a, of a better home for it to exist than, than on Kohi. So super happy. Um, so I want to ask, so uh, you got talk a little bit about uh, kind of zooming out from, from the, from the technical side 
Um, mm-hmm. Talk about how you guys connected, the sort of like where it began. Josh, like obviously we kind of have a good sense of like what caught your eye that they were doing that made it different and kind of gave you a, a broader runway sort of um, than, you know, some of the other platforms and everything. But yeah, how did, how did you guys connect and, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where, where the conversation uh, on this project began? You know, um, I know you said you've been working on the, the work for a long time, but um, mm-hmm. Just on a sort of relational level, how'd you guys, you know, hit it off and, and how's the collaboration process been? Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought that up because my heroes in this space are, are women. Um, you know, when I first started back, you know, way back when, you know, one of the projects that that I gravitude, gravitated towards and was blown away by the most was this woman, Leah, who lives in uh, Vienna, Austria, and she was running a project called... Um, Turex and Dextro, she was doing the work and in, in director and in, 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 in she really opened my eyes to, you know, using the browser as a canvas. And, and if it wasn't for her, I don't know if I would be where I am today. So, so she has been um, a huge inspiration for me. And she initially had talked to the, to the Kohi people, I think, because she kind of ha- understood uh, what was happening a lot sooner <laughs> than I was privy to. And so we had been chatting about art blocks and she ended up having a chat on uh, a launch on art blocks. And she just said, uh, you know, you really should check out this, this Kohi project. You know, I've, I've talked with the two guys over there and what they're doing is really interesting. And then Chuck, I think you even mentioned it to me. And it, it was kind of this thing where multiple people were kind of talking about Kohi all at the same time. And so uh, here I was working on this code called the Universe Machine, and it, it was it was really kind of like some early sketches on Foundation. So on Foundation, I had taken some of that code that I initially wrote in processing, and again did a disservice by rendering it to video, but launched it on on Foundation. And it did really well, and I thought, you know, this this block of code I've been working on and off for about um, um, you know eight eight or so years. Um, I really should try to find a home for this, and so. Uh, initially I thought I was going to put it on art blocks and it was just kind of this, like the universe intervened, um, where, you know, I was kind of gearing up to, to, to moving this over to P5JS and putting it on our art blocks. And, uh, and then Leah mentions Kohi. And then I think you mentioned Kohi Chuck, like all these people were sort of mentioning Kohi and, um, during NFT now here in New York city, um, it ended up that Untokyo was here and I just like randomly just pinged him a note and just said, Hey, you know, like, can we meet like at a bar somewhere and just hang out and chat? Because, you know, I'm kind of sitting on this code that I've, you know, I've been working on for eight years and, you know, maybe there's a way that we can collaborate. And so we, uh, went to a hotel bar and, and just started, uh, chatting. And I think it was like <laughs> a couple hours later, we were like, wow, okay. This, like my eyes really opened up. Uh, to how this was different than than the art blocks platform and um the care that they're putting into collaborating with an artist in terms of moving their code over to solidity which i you know i don't know how to write at all um just because i haven't spent any time uh looking at that at that structure um so the fact that it was kind of this one-on-one collaboration with them and the fact that they were only doing four drops a year just it it felt like it had a little better fit and finish for me and so if it yeah. if it wasn't for the kind of all of this happening kind of at the same time you know i, I um it, you know this 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 wouldn't have happened which is 
What, mm, let's talk about that actually. And also, I just want to acknowledge we are, we usually keep this to an hour, but like oh. if no one's got anywhere to be and we're not trying to oh. hurry, then it's not yeah. uh, pressing or anything. So uh, we can just keep it going. I do want to just acknowledge sure. it, but at the same time, it's the I call, call it pirate radio because I'm going to have to really answer to anybody. And I don't think this, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, Yuri or whoever, but I don't think we're we're being rushed out of here for another thing right after this so we can just kind of keep it keep it going for for a bit longer um mm. i just want to touch on a couple things cool thank you okay. zoe yeah we're good um so okay i want to uh I, I yeah i love to acknowledge um so yeah but i think um it's important to acknowledge what you guys with kohi are doing now both from the kohi side and josh what it means to you to be a part of of that um four drops a year so i like you know i, I don't i'm not going to pretend to not name names here i think there's a, maybe a direct response to watching art art blocks and sort of responding mm-hmm. to the um you know sort of saturation and the, the quantity and the pace at which they put things out um i don't think and i'm not super i'm not close to those guys i've heard some things i've read in their discord i, I know that their mission is to consistently put out you know generative projects from artists they respect and, and and like and there are a lot of them and i don't know that it's i mean at this point i think if they really wanted to pump the brakes they, they probably would have um so for better or worse I, I know projects just continue to to come out um and i think at this point you know at, at the cycle that we've the cycles we've been in um thus far in, in the nft space over the last year and a half or so um you know there there was like the real art blocks fever to where i used to compare i think you know trying to think like when this would have been maybe like july august september and it was just like at such a fever pitch and i remember feeling like uh, every art blocks curated especially was almost uh like the whole nft world was tuning in much like it was an apple event you know it was like okay like gonna watch this and like are you who's who's hopping in and and it was it was crazy and then i think you know there's been um a bit of a come down from that and uh and so kind of as maybe a response to, to that and surely larger issues, of, of course, I'd imagine for you guys from a technical standpoint, whatever, the idea to only do four drops in a, in a year is really interesting because it's, you know, it's, 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 um, it's few, you know, it's, it's, it's a couple you really sort of concentrate all the efforts on just, you know, four things. So I guess just having set the stage there, just talk a little bit about what um, the sort of thinking is from the Kohi side. And then Josh, I'd love to kind of, um, finish that uh, thought um, from your end, um, you know, participating in something where the scarcity of drops is uh, sort of more in focus. Yeah, so there's a lot of motivation for doing four drops a year. Um, it's not purely technical, although, you know, looking at our roadmap, you know, we wouldn't feel like we probably couldn't handle you know the kind of output that that art blocks does just because again even though we've got a lot of a lot of this code uh generated help and you know we've written some uh transpiler to get from sort of our um ground level language like we use c sharp to do a lot of the fast rendering and then we um transpile that into solidity so there's a lot of reasons on a technical level but really the the four drops a year is and you know it's not also like a sort of false scarcity thing it's just we're putting in it's not just the the technical side like we're putting in hundreds of hours for each uh for each artist that we you know that we work with it's one of the reasons you know we i don't again you know there's room for everybody we're not anti art blocks by any means one of the things that does stand out is that you know when you go to the art blocks website you see like you know kind of all the art smashed together 
Um, and, you know, there's not like a lot of like expose on the artists themselves. Whereas when we're doing art drops, we really like we have an entire quarter to focus on that art, that artist. Um, you know, we give them a dedicated uh, page. You know, we can go in and, and sort of help with things like Discord. Um, we really just trying to move the artist forward. And, and another, you know, not to pitch or anything, another, another thing that we do that's different is, um, you know, we don't take any secondary uh, royalties once the art is out. It's, you know, it's completely um, the artist's work. So we try to, we try to onboard the art itself make sure we get as close as possible to you know their vision there are some you know technical things in solidity that sometimes we can't do it 100 just because you know there, it doesn't support floating point and sometimes you know we have a certain amount of precision but that kind of thing but you know so it's, it's always a one-on-one type of relationship and uh and then we kind of want it, the art to live on its own so it, we, we're you know, I don't want to, we're not the anti art blocks, but you know, we are doing things differently. Um, and so four drops a year for us felt the right balance of, cause we have a pretty, um, ambitious roadmap in terms of, you know, using GPUs and adding interactivity and animation. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we have planned. So we thought that four a year was sort of the perfect balance of being able to give each person, you know, each artist on our platform, like really like full our full attention also have some time to move the 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 platform forward because eventually it'll all be open source and you know uh we're trying to we're in, we're end up building something like our own processing language in a way so that you know so that artists eventually what we want is artists to be able to kind of do this on their own um so they won't need us at all um and we're not there yet from a technical point of view. There's still, you know, I still am sort of the ghost in the machine, you know, turning the wheels in the back uh, to a certain extent. And that gets less and less after each drop. But yeah, we just, I mean, we care about the art. We care about the artists that, that you know, that are on the platform. We're always like, you know, huge fans of Joshua Davis. And we, um, you know, we're just excited to do it. And we want to do it different. We want to do it right. And sometimes, you know, when you want to do something the right way, you have to, you know, you have to scale things back and, and go slower. NFT space is very much like, you know, every hour is like a year and people are moving fast all the time. We try to step away from that kind of like FOMO or whatever you want to call it. The idea that like, you know, this is a moment in time and everyone wants to get theirs kind of thing. But we're, you know, is there's just two of us. I mean, we could probably scale up at some point, but um we just this is just what we want to do it's just the in the this, so far this is how we think it's how i think we it should be done and so we offer an all art alternative um and it's also like you know it's more valuable to the collectors that we that we care uh you know that we care about the the work as opposed to you know we don't have any sort of overseers we haven't taken any um you know outside funding there's no pressure to like pump out work and um, you know, keep investors happy, that kind of thing. So we're very, I guess, boutique, if you will. Um, and my, I don't know if it'll change in the future. We might, once we have the tools working well, we might, you know, have a sort of something equivalent to like the art blogs factory where you can kind of just jump on in mint. But I think that if we ever get to that point, I think it would be more like a manifold where you can kind of just take our code, write some generative art, put it on your own contract and, uh, you know, we'll still do curation and sort of whenever we're moving the platform ahead. But yeah, 
but yeah, that's that's really it. Um, it's a combination of a lot of things, but ultimately, it's just it's the right amount for us right yeah. now. I like that. I mean, I think I think uh, there's you know it's, it's been really interesting. I think there's sort of a, a very uh, you know I think Lindsay's still in here or no, she's not, but. We've talked a lot. I've talked with Lindsay a lot and Yuri a lot about you know the idea of curation and and there's there you know there's sort of a strange at least I've seen a sort of strange pushback sometimes from some artists you know mistaking the idea of curation for some sort of weird gatekeeping and and I don't think that's the case I think I think when things are so wide open and there's just so many projects I think curation is incredibly important to steer you know a, a point of view steer people towards something and and to you know it's not about you know selectivity and ex- exclusivity and, and trying to gatekeep so much as trying to you know i mean there's there's so much you know we're just overstimulated within this world like constantly and on the internet in general and and so i think that there's something really nice about sort of slowing down and then creating a platform uh that uh sort of has a more digestible pace you know, really give a chance for each project to to breathe a little bit, uh, and, and just sort of like, kind of just kind of chill, you know, because it's just there's there's a lot, and, and projects come and go, and, and you forget about them the next week, and it's, there's just so much stuff. So I, I think this sort of uh, structure allows for a, a bit of like a slower digestion and appreciation um, for a project, and, and to get into it a little more. Um, and I think that only happens with, you know, this type of, um, with t- this type of approach. So yeah, um, and a lot of people think of curation as picking, like, just like, you know, what is in and what is out when curation really like even, you know, in the traditional art space means a lot more. It's like caring for the art, right, like, right, you know, a right. hundred years from now and custodianship mm-hmm. and things like that. So we yeah, couldn't just, do that for a hundred pieces yeah. a year. Well, yeah, and, yeah just- Josh. Yeah. yeah if please, I could just please. add, if I could just add my two cents, like, you know, when you decide, so Art blocks, yeah, you know, anyone can submit. So when they open up applications, you know, anyone can submit and 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 they can get started working under that platform, um, which is great. Um, but I would say that that you know, I I only know so much. You know, my sandbox is only is only so big, and you know, I I want to find people who are smarter than me. You know, I, I remember when uh, I just first started out in Flash and I was self-teaching myself programming. You know, I remember Brandon Hall, this guy coming up to me and saying, like, I really love what you're doing visually, but uh, holy shit, your code is terrible. And and I said, well, OK, well, you know, how do I make it better? You know, like, how can I gravitate towards people who are are doing things um, that I can learn from? And so when you make the decision to be on art blocks, um, you know, it's just, it, it's all hundred percent on your shoulders. And there were things that I wanted to try and there are things that I wanted to do that um, I just couldn't get support for, you know? And so here's a, here's a perfect example. Um, I said to Watsi, I said, listen, you know, I've been, I've been working on this code for eight years um, and, you know, there's nine different color palettes. You know, I would love... I would love the idea that um, someone could mint a piece and, you know, random number generator is going to give them one of those nine palettes. You know, it'll, it'll, maybe it's based off of a hash or maybe it's just normal RNG, um, but they're going to get a color palette. But what if that's not the color palette they wanted? You know, like I've bought an art blocks piece that, you know, I got green and I wanted orange. <laughs> And so now you have to say, okay, and well, how do I swap my piece 
for somebody who has an orange one and maybe, you know, they want a green one, right? So you've got to go through that whole rigmarole. And so I said to Watson, I said, you know, is there a way that I could um, have my code, like, you know, mint a piece, but let's say you wanted a high-res output, but you had the option to choose of what colorway you wanted to get it in. So structurally, the code would still be the same, but you could output it in one of the nine different colors. So, you know, maybe you minted green, but you really wanted blue. And so um, that kind of collaboration, that kind of conversation where I could say to Watsi, like, hey, this is what I'm thinking, and is this possible? And Watsi just, you know, typing, you know, I got you. <laughs> Um, this idea that you would be able to mint something, but then render that same composition in a different colorway because maybe it's something that you want to print is the kind of um, flexibility that can only happen when you're collaborating with people who are smarter than you. Oh, I was muted. Love that. Yeah, and that's um, yeah. I think that's that's all great. And I love the. I love just the sort of coming together of, of you and where you were at in the space and kind of needing something like this. It sounds like from everything you've talked about, I think it was just kind of clear that you had an appetite to do a project of this size. By the way, remind me how many pieces in the drop in the coat in this one? A thousand. Yeah. A thousand. Um, you know, but like in a, in a, in a way that you had a little more control and, and just kind of in a different sort of context and, um, I, I think, again, this has been a constant theme, um, but just sort of the coming together of artists and developers who are really eager to uh, be able to kind of scratch the itches of, of one another um, with ideas where just like both sides are so necessary to bring these things to life. So I just, you love to see it. Um, okay, really quick. I want to, uh, I do want to start to, to wrap up, um, but I will say we have a, um, uh, whitelist for FWB. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to drop the link in the chat. Sorry, I should have been more prepared here. I'm going to drop the link in the chat. Where is it? Okay, it's kohi.art slash giveaway. Yeah. When you go what? there, however, mm -hmm. you're going to need to answer a few questions um, to, uh, to be able to uh, join if, if you want. I'm pasting the, the link in right now. Um, do you want to talk about the uh, answers to these questions, right? Quick? Yeah, because there's a, like a let's let's cheat because there's only like a certain amount of people in here. So let's uh, yeah, let's go just for it. It's easy. Um, obviously, uh, Space Invaders is the the video game, you know, because I I use the Space Invader logo um, uh, for on PlayStation because it was it was just you know a tip to the hat to to old video games. Um, I'm a big hardcore punk, uh, fan and they're, they're refused is one of my favorite, um, Swedish hardcore groups. Um, Chris Penny on drums is a force to be reckoned with. He's incredible. Um, the void happened at the off festival in Barcelona, uh, where I was able to show like the real time, um, the real time piece. So, um, people, uh, added music to a, a collaborative Spotify playlist and, um, and it would listen and interact with the music that people were adding. And that was at the off festival in Barcelona. And in the past, you know, I've talked a lot about Jackson Pollock, you know, this idea of randomness, you know, so, you know, Pollock was, as a guy who would, you know, stand a few feet above the canvas and wherever the paint fell is wherever the paint fell, but it was based on gesture. 
and that's so similarly poetic to the to what I'm doing, which is randomness based on you know a very tight set of rules. So mm -hmm. um, uh, those are the answers. Um, the The website that the Kohi guys set up for me um, shows some of the sample renders. We posted some sample renders in here. Uh, I hope everybody likes the work. It's been an eight-year labor of love. Um, the reason why it's called the Universe Machine is because it generates these like little galaxies. It generates these little uh, movements of shooting stars or comets or planets or you know. And it's it's a it's a place that you know I wish I could visit or or go live. And so it's called the Universe Machine because it generates these kind of like little celestial universes, um, and that's where the name comes from. Amazing. Thank you. Um, and yeah, so the uh, answers and the, the link are uh, right here in the chat text for everyone. And uh, yeah, when's the, the launch again? Is that Monday? Am I correct? So right? well, let me just look here. I think uh, the white list is going to be March 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then you have 48 hours to kind of mint at your own convenience. And then the public mint um, is going to start March 31st. So cool. One, same day that you and I have something else coming. I was going to say, are we going to talk about this, Chuck? Are <laughs> sure, we gonna... sure, quick, because I do want to leave a moment for uh, Yuri to play us out. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm going to have to jump uh, soon myself. But yeah, Josh, as I've shared enough to be, but yeah, Josh and I have yeah. worked together before. Um, and Josh was one of the, the, well, actually was the first collaborator I did um, for my inf Infinite Pressure project. Um, mm. Not to get on here and, and be shilling that, but that's the, yeah, but... It, was, it was the first project we did more for just purely for fun, I think, in a while. Sure. And uh, yeah, so uh, Josh and I have another uh, collaboration coming out of one on one that's part of my Infinite Pressure project that I announced today. And it's really, oh, I have good. to say, it's really, 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 really lovely. And Josh was able to, in, in sort of layman's terms, Josh basically took my Illustrator file, SVG, and sort of reverse engineered it and, and basically gave himself the, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm botching this, but, you know, yeah. basically, put the, uh, the, the artwork and the composition I did into your code so that you could fully control it and sort of maintain the integrity of, of kind of what I had built. And you put out just an incredible um, piece that I'm really excited Thanks. to share. And of course, we'll yeah, be sharing it sure. early here. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and I called you the other day. I was like, oh my God, I just learned something new, uh, which I, I didn't even realize that you could do. And, and, and that was, I was able to take Java to query your illustrator file and return like all the data of like how many vector shapes they are, where they're positioned on the X and Y and what is their scale? What is their skew? What is their So I, I literally get this data table back of everything that exists in your illustrator file. And then I rebuild it with code. And when I rebuild it with code, I'm able to animate it in a way that's like super fun. So I've taken some yeah. of your structures and moved them in 3D space. And you really can kind of like fly through the composition, which is mm -hmm. which is really, really, really fun. So I'm excited to, to share that work because yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, we've collaborated for a long time and I learned something new. And, and I really like um, how the, our little our little one of one collab came out. So excited to share. Yeah, it it's, it's awesome. So stoked on it and really just really an honor to work with you again as always and to chat with you and Watsi, thank you so much for hopping in. We'll all be looking for the drop and, and keeping an eye on it. And this has been just a lot of fun and it's such a good, uh, this is just so this and last week's uh, we did with Mars Meyer is just such a great uh, sort of very, very satisfying type of interview to, to really hear both sides of this uh, moment that we're all 
living in right now uh, with like truly like to me, this is such like, and Josh, you're kind of this in one person, but the left brain and the right brain, you know, truly like kind of coming together to make, you know, a really great project um, that frankly, just there's very little precedent for uh, everything that's happening. And so I love talking to, to both of you and, and hearing about this stuff. And um, just thanks for sharing the story and the behind the scenes. And uh, I'm sure we can keep, keep going uh, much longer, well, but th- thanks for everybody who tuned in, you know, yeah. hopefully you found it fun. Uh, I, you know, I, I wish we could tell some Chuck stories because I, I've got a whole plethora of them, but that's for, that's for another time. We don't want to, we'll, we'll save that for some of the Twitter spaces yeah. we have coming yeah, up. Sure, we'll have plenty of chance to roast that, me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Yuri, thank you so much for playing uh, Flash Gordon. The, the joke is is that I spent 15 years in Flash, and so that that's why I ha- requested that song was because if it wasn't for that that early kind of explore, exploration in Flash, it, it I don't know if it would have kicked off my you know my 26 year career. So um, please take us out with Flash by. I think oh, Yuri might have a special might have a special thing oh. to, uh, cooked up actually. Oh my god, I can't. Wait. Be... <laughs> Take it away, Yuri. I think. Yuri may be mute. No, he's not muted. Uh, should I put on some, oh, he said one sec. Oh, okay. No, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, here, hang on. Let me see. Let me find something for the, uh, while we, while we wait. Okay. So um... while we wait, I'm in New York. <laughs> I meet Chuck Anderson for the first time. He has to give a talk for an hour. He's so nervous. He gets up on stage and he's talking, he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And I'm sitting in the front row. And then I find, and I say to Chuck, Chuck, you only have five minutes left. He had spent 40, like 55 minutes, and he had never left his first slide in Keynote. So Chuck, so, so Chuck says, so Chuck says, oh shit, and then literally starts hitting the next arrow, like rapid fire on his keyboard, and the whole screen went from like slide one to like slide 600 in like four minutes, and he was like, thank you, I'm Chuck Anderson. It was insane. That's true. It's, it's a real true story. <laughs> yep, yep. First time talking. Hey guys, is, is this thing on? Or? Yes, yes, you are good. Am I coming through? All right, right on. yeah, coming take through. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you.